Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. We sure are. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Farm. My name's Brom Burton. And I'm Farm. Hi, everyone. How are you, Farm? Uh, it's a loaded question. Oh, I know how you are. That's why I'm yeah, asking. No. <laughs> Calling me out first thing in the morning. Thanks. I'm no, I'm very I'm well. Very happy to be here, as yeah. always. It's, uh, it's a lovely Sunday morning in autumn. In March, heading towards the end of March already. Can you believe it? This year is just flying by. Thank you very much, Tim Thorpe, for Vital Bits, as always. Uh, wonderful program this morning. And yesterday morning, sat in bed having my cup of tea this morning, listening to Tim, as I do on a Saturday morning, as I'm guessing you've probably been doing, many of you have been doing for the last few hours. And uh, you can catch Tim next weekend, Saturday and Sunday morning from 6 till 9 for more Vital Bits. Thanks also to Andrew for Soulful Bits. Sharon Jones profile this morning. Love that. That was great. And uh, Steph, with things to do today. So thank you very much to all of those wonderful people um, here at Triple R. We've got a massive show today lined up. Shortly we'll be catching up with Ben Francishelli. He's our coastal paleontologist. What he doesn't know about coastal paleontology fossils uh, along the coastline isn't worth knowing. So this week he's focusing on sperm whales. Uh, looking at ancient sperm whales and modern sperm whales and he's um, focused on their teeth. So why uh, why are they weird? Why are sperm whales weird in terms of, you know, their teeth and why don't they use them to eat and why do they have such Wait, big teeth? Wait, what? They don't use their teeth to eat? According to Ben. Wow. Yeah. Now I can't wait for this segment. Yeah. It's something I didn't know. Stay you, tuned. Uh, if you're out there listening, you can check out our Facebook page with a photo of Ben holding a massive tooth. Actually, with apologies, I usually put a little caption next to the photos when I load them up. I haven't done that this week. I will do later on. But, um, yeah, really uh, huge, massive, massive tooth. I think I know the photo. It's the one where he's, like, grinning so happily like a little leprechaun with his gold <laughs> holding that big tooth. Well, no. Not this photo that I've put up, but I know the one you're talking about. But yes. So really looking forward to that. Um, we've got a few plugs of various events that are coming up, which we'll do as well. Then, Farm, you're bringing a very special guest back to Radio Marinara. Yes, one of our regular guests, actually. We're going to catch up with Heidi Tate, who is the CEO of Tangaroa Blue Foundation. Um, and she is going to catch us up uh, about a few really exciting projects that have started here in Victoria. Awesome. Doing good things. Mm-hmm, always. Addressing big problems. Yes, plastic pollution, big problem. Yeah, so this is real exciting stuff. Looking forward to catching up with Haiti about that. And then, fam, remember Spike? Like, how could we not? How could we not remember Spike? <laughs> oh, he was such a cute boy. So Spike, if you missed our um, program last year focusing on Spike, profiling Spike, Spike was a dog who made his way from being abandoned in uh, the Lost Dogs home in North Melbourne to becoming a dog surfing champion. Um, he was brought home by by Rob Lorenzen, who is his favourite human, and has Rob's been a, a stand-up paddleboarder for a long time, um, and and a and a surfer. And so Spike learned how to surf and started winning dog surfing championships because there is such a thing. I just can't. Ever you say that story, tell that story, I just have to laugh. It's so it's cool. amazing. So Rob and Rob reached out a few weeks ago. He's been up to Noosa for the Noosa Festival of Surfing. There was a dog surfing section. 
Um, and so Spike went, and this was, it's actually, he's now retiring. Mm. Spike is 15. Yeah. He, look, he's got, he's got the grey snoot and everything. Yeah. It's so cute. He's beautiful. <laughs> so anyway, Rob and Spike, well, actually Rob, I'm not sure about Spike, but Rob is definitely coming in to talk to us about the Noosa Festival of Surfing. Big, big event, 450 entrants, because I know we focus a lot on the Rip Curl Pro and that's coming up too. But, um, uh, yeah, uh, 450 entrants from around the world uh, coming to Noosa and he's going to talk about um, some local longboard superstars who were there from Torquay. And also, this is very exciting, an upcoming sequel to Spike Surfs. Oh, yes. So I thought Book you'd be happy two. about that, <laughs> Yes, very much. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Triple R. Uh, we've got time for a news item. I know you've got a couple. Yeah, actually, um, there's there's been a lot happening here. One of the uh, uh, things that I noticed, thank you so much, uh, Matt Testoni, who is a, a great underwater photographer and a very big advocate for the Great Southern Reef um, here in Southern Australia, uh, posted this. Uh, it's uh, from the ABC. Um, and it's an article about citizen science proving it's worth again, basically. Um, and this time it is the good people from the Reef Life Survey who were led by uh, Dr. Graham Edgar of the Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies at the Uni Tasmania. And he's also doing this on behalf of the Reef Life Survey Foundation. Uh, they just published a giant article in Nature, which is huge. Uh, it's unfortunately not really great news because the majority of shallow water reef species living around Australia's coastlines have actually declined in number over the last 10 years. And scientists are now predicting that extinctions will follow that. So what they did was they uh, had trained divers, citizen scientists all around Australia uh, doing reef life surveys, which is a very scientific way of doing of doing surveys underwater uh, to look at the uh, species composition uh, of, of, of the reefs all around. And uh, they did about uh, 1,057 surveys and surveyed over 1,600 sites around Australia and uh, it looks like um, climate change is really, really pushing out some of the cool water species that we have down here at this, the Great Southern Reef. So what is happening is that it's warming up the seawater, which has been really positive for a bunch of coral species as well. So coral species are increasing because they're going more south. Uh, but unfortunately, they are pushing out those cooler water species, including things like weedy sea dragons and the handfish uh, in Tasmania. Uh, and they have nowhere to go because mm. Tasmania is kind of like the the, the edge That's of it. the world, right? For the uh, for the for the southern reef, so um, so they are on the real threat of of going extinct. Um, yeah, so that is uh, that is questionable news in the terms of climate change. Very right? sobering news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they found that the populations of more than a quarter of all these species in the study declined by 30% or more. So there is a good chance that in the in the coming few years we will see some of them uh, probably make it to the IUCN red list for yep. threatened species. It's complex too. I mean, people kind of, you know, on one hand think, oh, well, you know, everything will just kind of shift south a bit. But it doesn't work like that because no. some species will be able to adapt, some species won't. You know, how will that impact competition for food and space. And exactly. And what, what the study was showing was that it is mostly the shallow water species that are being squeezed the most, right? Yeah. Because there's Tasmania and that has a limited coastline and, and shallow waters and you can't just push those species out further to Antarctica because it just drops down into the deep sea. That's right. There's, yeah. nothing, there's nothing between. So we'll keep a, a close eye on this one. Okay. Thank you, Farm. 
Uh, you've had one other one? I did. Uh, good news as well. <laughs> so you talked about the Rip Curl Pro before, Bron, and uh, uh, Rip Curl has actually just become a certified B Corp. Uh, and that basically means that they are joining a global community of businesses uh, that are driving accountability for their impact on people, planet and the community. Now, we already knew that Rip Curl started this program where they recycle their, their wetsuits. Wetsuits, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the help of TerraCycle. Uh, but now they have gone through this process of being a certified B Corp, which is quite a stringent process they have to adhere to with lots of uh, different categories. Uh, they need to be able to tick boxes in um, and they will be assessed for that now every three years as well. So that is an ongoing certification. Yeah, cool. So it's yeah. a bit like the Marine Stewardship Council. Yeah, a little bit. So there, there are for-profit organisations uh, whose performance is measured across five impact areas. So that's governance, workers, customers, community and the environment. And yeah, they must document their positive impact um, to apply, obviously. And then once they get it, um, they have to like reapply and, and be independently verified every three years. Uh, and so they're setting a huge standard. And don't forget that, you know, Ripco is not just Australian. They're doing this all across the globe mm-hmm. in all of their stores as well, including their uh, wetsuit um, factory in Thailand. Yeah, brilliant. So really stepping up there. Good stuff. Thanks, fam. Mm. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Good morning, Ben Francischelli. Good morning, Bron Farm. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, can you hear me? We can indeed. Um, yes, we can. Can you hear Excellent. us? Well, yes, you can, because you've just answered my question. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've given, your, um, I've given your segment a big... It's early on a Sunday. It is. It is. Um, giving you a big, uh, big uh, rev up this morning. We're talking about sperm whales. Now, we're going from the ancient to the modern or the modern to the yes. ancient? Let's go to the modern to the ancient because it really just shows how strange they are. And then we can go back into the past and be like, man, they're even weirder than we could have possibly ever imagined. I think that's the way we do it for sure. And um, when it comes to sperm whales, I was also curious, do you think squid have nightmares of sperm whales as they sleep? Oh, 100%. 100%. You're the biggest sort of like invertebrate there swimming I mean, around. They surely must. Yeah, and, and the only thing that's bigger than you is, is just hunting you every moment of the day. Of course they're going to have nightmares. And there's no bones, no. so there's nothing to crunch through. No, and apparently they don't even... Now, they Sweat use their teeth for eating, but not really. What is this not using your teeth for eating business, Ben? Explain it to us, please. Yeah, it's extraordinarily strange. So sperm whales are considered to be the largest tooth predator that has ever existed, maybe even bigger than that of the megalodon. And even though mech- accurate measurements are very difficult to come by, it's considered that the bulls, the males, probably got to about 20 metres in length and about 80 metric tonnes. And yet it is thought that their primary organ for feeding is not their teeth. Then what is it, Ben? So, yeah, well, that's that's the really curious thing. So Did they just they have suck it in or something? Set into the lower jaw is a really curious thing. And it's possible that the reason um, they have those teeth uh, is for basically sparring with one another, but they use a big piston-like tongue that weighs more than a metric tonne, and by creating a negative pressure, basically clicking and doing this with their tongue, they suck in any surrounding oh. prey straight into the bottom of their gut. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, do you think maybe maybe the teeth would have something to do with holding the prey? Because, I mean, those things are pretty wriggly, those squids. 
They are, and certainly when they come up from those immense two-kilometre dives back up to the surface to exhale that air, that very stale air in their body, um, we do see them on occasion actually holding parts of a giant squid in place. So definitely for the biggest species of squid, they have been seen using their teeth to hold it in place, but they don't eat, always eat, the really large species of squid that are there. And there are these fantastic accounts from the 50s from the Soviets in these little handwritten books of opening into... The Soviets, unfortunately, throughout the 50s to the 80s, absolutely decimated populations of sperm whales by inordinately hunting them almost to extinction. 700,000 of them were taken from a pre-existing population of 1.1 million in the 1800s. So really did some terrible stuff to them. But the accounts of them opening them up and seeing what was inside their guts were fascinating because inside, on occasion, were these writhing, squirming squid that had no bite marks inside their guts whatsoever. Oh, they just got sucked in. So why, Ben, yeah, why? What's <laughs> these sound effects. So let's go back to the purpose of the teeth because things are usually fairly, usually, like we can never talk in absolutes, but it's usually fairly straightforward in terms of um, evolution of body parts and what they're used for. And so for these animals to have, you know, to have evolved to have and then continue to have these enormous teeth and not use them for food, uh, what's, what's the story there? Like what's the theory behind it? Is there one? Yeah, clearly the ancestor of the sperm whale uh, had teeth for prey capture at some point in its evolutionary history and then has just created and adapted to this very unique deep-sea setting where it no longer needs it anywhere near as readily. But the reason it's thought that they have them today and the males have these horrific fights at the bottom of the seafloor where they leave these huge scars all over the top of their head and their bulbous forehead of theirs. And clearly the teeth are there in in very similar way to like rutting with antlers just to show off to one another to say, hey, I've got big teeth, don't mess with me kind of thing amongst males. But they'll they'll do that on the bottom of the deep sea in the complete darkness. That must be some like epically strange fighting going on there. And yet we've never seen it happen before. We've never Mm. seen the males fight. We've never really seen them take prey. They do it in the absolute solitude and the absolute abyss of the depths of the ocean. Um, wanted to ask you about, you, you let me know during the week about a member of the public, so um, someone called Annabelle, who sent you some really fascinating pictures of a modern sperm whale tooth collected by her grandfather in New Zealand. Can you tell us and, and our listeners about that? Yeah. So I've been uh, doing a bit of a spruik to all the listeners out there saying, you know, if you've ever found anything that's of scientific interest, especially if you think it's a fossil or a tooth, I would love to see what that looks like. And Annabelle got in touch with me and she sent me this utterly fascinating tooth and a wonderful backstory. Apparently her father, uh, sorry, grandfather had acquired it from 70 years ago. And apparently it hung around the neck of a soldier, uh, sorry, a sailor. And he had also put gunpowder into the corner of the tooth (laughs) in a weird cavity that was left behind. And really strange. But the, the weirdest thing by far wasn't just that it was around the neck of a person for as long as anyone could remember, was the fact that this thing had bizarre wear to the tip of the teeth. And by looking at the tip of the teeth and the wear that it's acquired throughout its lifetime, we can generally tell what what these animals were eating. But looking at this wear, it's clearly eating something completely different than modern sperm whales are eating today. Or grinding it for some other purpose, maybe. 
it's possible. And there are accounts in the literature of sperm whales not just taking squid. There are some of them even taking megamouth sharks, porpoises, and maybe even small seals on occasion. So it's entirely possible, like we see with modern orcas today, that maybe there were populations down in southern New South and New Zealand that actually ate other things than giant squid. Amazing. Um, just before we let you Which go... Which would account for the wear on the teeth. Yeah, right. Um, just uh, before we let you go, I did want to ask about the um, the image of the tooth that we've used with our social media um, announcements this week. So I'm going to have a crack at, as I always do, in your segment. I'm always having a crack at pronunciations of things. <laughs> <laughs> Liviatan? Am I close? <laughs> Liviatan? Oh, uh, very close. Liviatan, yeah. Okay, there you go. I was right. Liviatan yep. is how it's pronounced there. And um, this, this, yeah, this beast is fascinating. So prehistoric sperm whales are an intense matter of debate because they were doing something clearly very different than modern sperm whales as well. They had the largest functional teeth ever discovered in the fossil record. And modern sperm whales today only have teeth on their lower jaw. We know that they don't really use them for prey capture, but these things were doing something else. Five to six million years ago in Melbourne, there was a species of sperm whale that was just as big as the modern sperm whale and had teeth interlocking on the upper jaws. The teeth were 30 centimetres in length, and they probably crushed down on bone. They were quite possibly some of the biggest predators that ever existed in the history of the world. Unbelievable. What have you got coming up, Ben, in terms of uh, talks and things that our listeners might want to hook into, get along to, watch online? It's a good question, actually. I don't have anything in line in the, in the next little bit, unfortunately. I'm terribly – I don't have anything to spruik other than my own socials. So like <laughs> I mentioned before, if you do have anything of scientific interest that you'd like to see, that you'd like to kind of figure out what it is, you've had it on the mantelpiece for the longest possible time, you don't know what it is, I would love to see it. You can go follow me on my Instagram at a fool's experiment, a underscore – or fools underscore experiment, and I can tell you what it is. And together we can try and figure out if it's of any scientific importance. Brilliant. We've put a link to that on our Facebook page previously, but I will do so again this afternoon. Um, ben, thanks so much for joining us and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Ciao, guys. Thanks so much. Bye. <laughs> okay, thanks. Ben Francis Shelley there. It always astounds me. I was at uh, the Bo Morris Fossil Beach yesterday for an excursion with the Eco Centre looking for crabs, and all I saw was rocks. Yeah. All I saw was rocks, but every time Ben goes there, he comes up with something of national and international significance. It's it's amazing. I've got to learn the tricks. He's just got the eye for it, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, really. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. A few things we wanted to plug, events that are coming up. The Point Cook Coast Care launch day. Uh, thanks very much to Eva who pointed this one out to us. is taking place next Sunday, 2nd of April. So we'll pass this one on to Anthony who can mention it again next week as well. But from 10 till 2pm, uh, it's at the Point Cook Homestead. Um, Nature West are the organisers. You can contact, we'll put some details on our Facebook page, but you can uh, contact Kelly for more information. She's the land care facilitator. So this provides you with an opportunity to attend a community day beginning a brief history of the area 
covering Indigenous, European and nature stories that have helped shape the history of Point Cook's coastal parklands. Uh, then moving into deeper discussions facilitated by Nature West, Parks Victoria and Coast Care. So an amazing day coming yeah, up Yeah, that sounds really fun. And if you want to start your own Coast Care group, don't forget we still have a week to go until the Coast Care grants close on the April 1st. So grants of up to $10,000 for community groups and people who want to start their own group. Excellent. Thank you, Fum. Uh, a couple of other really quick ones. Um, dear friend of Radio Marinara, Mick Sowry, uh, best known for his work with Musica Surfica, uh, The Reef and Great Ocean Quarterly. He's having an exhibition of all a lifetime of photographs that he's taken um, called The Spark. It's the Spark exhibition. Opens uh, next Saturday, April the 1st at 3pm and uh, we'll put some links to that on our Facebook page as well. You can get down to Torquay. It runs for a couple of weeks down in Torquay. Go check it out because his photography is absolutely stunning. So completely recommend that. Also, while we're in Torquay, um, <laughs> the world premiere of a new movie coming out called The Greatest Surf Movie in the Universe. They're oh, aiming high with that cool. title. <laughs> That's a big call to make. <laughs> so the world premiere of that is also in Torquay. Um, you can get along to that filmmaker Q&As, preview screenings around Australia throughout April and May, um, but the actual world premiere is on April the 3rd. So you could tie that in with a visit to the Hoop Gallery to see Mix exhibition. Um, stars of the film in attendance, and it says, provided they turn up, they're surfers after all. <laughs> If there's wave, no one waves, no one's going to turn up. We can relate to that. How many? How many <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. How many times have we lined up interviews with surfers and they've just been out surfing? Anyway, so more information, uh, including ticket links and session times, um, there's a big long link which we'll put on our Facebook page as well, a bit of Facebooking to do after the program today. But you can look it up for yourself. It's called The Greatest Surf, Mo- greatest surf Movie in the Universe, so an easy one to remember. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3 Triple R. And with us on the phone line, calling in from Queensland, I think, because she does jet set all over the place to get to all the places of plastic pollution, is Heidi Tate, who is the CEO of Tangaroa Blue Foundation, uh, which is an Australia-wide not-for-profit organisation dedicated to the removal and prevention of marine debris, mostly plastic these days. Hi, Heidi. Can you hear us? Yeah, good morning, Farm. Good, good to morning. See, good to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that was a, a good introduction of all of the things you do, flying around to combat marine debris <laughs> everywhere you can. <laughs> yeah, finally I've got a, a morning back at home, so I will just uh, put a caveat that um, at home we have roosters and chickens and a kelpie and some ducks and geese. So apologies for any background noise. They've all just woken up and they're all running all over the place and there's no way to keep them quiet. That's okay. After everyone's used to being on Zoom during the pandemic, we know everything. We know all about dogs and cats getting into, uh, into official calls, so that is totally fine. Hey, Heidi, um, we're just catching up with you today because you are, you have launched a few really exciting projects here in Victoria. Uh, one I already announced on the show of the 5th of March, which is the uh, rig recycle program uh, that collects fishing line, reels, sinkers, spools and spool packaging so it can be repaired, reused and recycled. Um, Please update us on what this project is all about. Yeah, we are so excited about this. So, I mean... I mean, basically the whole point of our cleanup um, process when we do our cleanups is to collect data. So we have a really clear understanding of what things are impacting different parts of the country. And we know that um, the rubbish and the marine debris and the plastics that we find in Cape York is completely different to what we see 
um, in Port Phillip Bay, for example. So we need to be really strategic in what we're trying to stop um, and where we're trying to stop it from because it could be different from different parts of the country. So one of the gaps that we identified was any kind of product stewardship or um, real campaign around recreational fishing litter. Um, we know that there's a lot of people that have tried different types of bin infrastructure, um, but there's not really any process of where that um, rubbish collected can go. There's no real recycling um, process. And we know that there is a lot of overpackaging in this industry as well. So there was an opportunity for us to really connect with the industry and identify what can be done to reduce the amount of plastics that is um, created, but also um, the stuff that's collected during our cleanups. And so Rig Recycle was born. Now, we tested it in Far North Queensland as part of our Reef Clean project, um, and we were able to do a collection over a 12-month window um, in certain recreational fishing stores. And that gave us a really good idea of what could be collected, both from the consumer perspective, but also what's being generated within the tackle stores themselves that would normally go to landfill. And from there now, we're rolling this out nationally. Uh, we've received some funding through Sustainability Victoria um, grant, and we're actually putting up now a recycling line in Victoria, uh, because the other part, of course, is when you capture recycling materials, having to send it all over the country to, to actually be able to process it. So we're setting up state initiatives as well where it can be processed in each state. So lots of lots of things that can be done with it. The repair model is, is obviously the best thing. If we get stuff that can be repaired, we'll be fixing it and we're going to um, fishing charities like Able Anglers. Um, if it can't be repaired, then we look at diverting it from land through, landfill through a variety of recycling programs that we're setting up with our partners. Yeah, and this is this is the part that I'm actually really excited about because obviously this whole project fits into you know Victoria moving towards the circular economy model, um, but especially the repairing of the of the broken fishing tackle. And are we talking about things like lures as well? Because I mean, obviously we you know our, our divers and snorkelers here in Victoria they find a lot of this stuff under the piers when they're doing cleanups and often they just don't know what to do with them um so so how so are there is there somebody sorting out through this rubbish and then deciding which items can be repaired and then reused exactly right and this is the the whole process of us collecting data it gives us an opportunity to separate while we're collecting the data so it doesn't have to be done a second time. So we're, we're looking at um, developing a relationship with a social enterprise in Victoria, and, and so that will be part of their role. Um, will be helping us to separate those items that can be repaired um, and then the rest of the stuff that can be, be recycled. But even things like um, we're actually amazed at how, how many metal items that we're getting through the, um, the re-recycled bins in other states as well. So things like um, sinkers, which can actually be, you know, don't really need to be repaired. They're, they're ready to go as they are. Um, we have some um, of the program um, in New South Wales actually taking the sinkers and making them into um, weights for dive belts for when people go snorkeling or diving. So it, it's not necessarily that they're going to be um, repaired into the exact item, although that would be the, the first opportunity, but what else can it be upcycled into as well before we start looking at the whole recycling um, process? Because we know that, you know, that's always going to be more intensive um, than the repair model will be. Yeah, that's amazing. And and where can people, I mean, do people put these things in bins? Like where can they find the bins to, um, to you know, go through their shed and then get all the, the old fishing tackle out as well, not just from cleanups, obviously, and, 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 yep. and, and drop it off? Like where can they find these places? 
So as part of the, the Sustainability Victoria grant that I mentioned, we are rolling out 60 bins across Victoria. So there'll be 40 in the metro area. There'll be um, 15 within regional Victoria and then five within um, remote Victoria. And that's as our, as our starting point. So if we find that there's more people that want bins, then we can set it up. The, we are creating a relationship with Tackle World, so um, all the Tackle World, World stores will have a rig recycle bin, um, and then we'll also be working with independent stores, local councils, fishing clubs, um, fishing events. Now, the best way to find a bin as they go into store, and, and we're just in the production of the bins now, so they'll be rolled out over the next month or so, um, is to download an app which is called Recycle Mate. And if you've never seen this um, app before, it's really cool. It uses AI, so you can basically take a photo of anything, not just wreck fishing gear, but anything that you have that you want to know the best way to recycle it, and it uses AI to identify it, and then where your location is, it will give you um, whatever opportunities there are to recycle that item in your local area. So as rig recycle bins go into stores um, and into locations, we'll be uploading those locations into the RecycleMate app, um, and so you'll be able to see one if there, see if there's a, a location locally. But of course, if there isn't, or if you know a local tackle store where you think, hey, wow, they would really love this bin, then just reach out to us because we're engaging with, you know, as many recreational fishing industry partners as we can, um, so that it's easy for people to drop their stuff off. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I really love it because, because fishing tackle is such a huge problem uh, in the marine environment. And one of it's, it's, it's always stuff that we find in, in cleanups on the beach. So it's really great to see that this is, this is going back into the circular economy and being handled. Now, now Heidi, um, just quickly before we run out of time, because I really want to hear about uh, your strain, Let's Strain the Drains project, uh, the second edition of it. I know you held an online forum this week about the key findings of the first Let's Strain the Drains project. Can you just quickly update us on, on what the project is and what the results were and, and what the second phase holds. Yeah, so 2019-2020, we had 120 stormwater traps across six council areas that were audited, um, I think it was every six weeks then, uh, by volunteers to count what we were finding um, as far as litter going into the stormwater drains. And in the second round of funding, um, we're just coming up to the last cycle now. Um, so we've got now 158 traps that are across seven council areas, um, and they're being audited every eight weeks. And um, we've, as I said, we've just come to that last cycle now. So it's really interesting to see the different types of litter that go into the different parts of our communities. So we have traps in CBD area, in industrial areas, in public transport hubs, and in shopping centres. So we can start to see where certain items are entering the system, and that's when we start to develop what we call force reduction plans which try to tackle particular items from entering the system in the first place. So as part of the second round, we've actually developed eight source reduction projects for each of those council areas. Um, and one of them is our Ditch the Flick program, which looks at tackling um, cigarette butt litter. Uh, and one of the councils that we've developed um, that with or we're working with is the city of Wyndham around Werribee train station. So if you head down to Werribee train station and you have a look around that entrance there, you'll see a whole heap of more um, cigarette butt bins, but directional signage and making them really easy to see. Um, we're also doing a bubble tea, sustainable bubble tea initiative, um, and that was with partners in the cities of Maribyrnong and Dandenong and um, Melbourne City. 
and that's because we were seeing so many um, plastic wrappers from, from bubble tea drinks um, occurring in the stormwater traps around there. So we're looking at a reuse model. So, you know, it's perfect timing with the single-use um, plastic bans coming in that we start to talk more about remodel, um, reuse models and, and refill models. Um, and we start to see a real good reduction in that type of litter in the traps. And the other major project that we were ex continuing to expand was Operation Clean Sweep, which is looking at reducing the loss of plastic feedstock from the plastics manufacturing industry in our industrial areas because that was the number one item that we were finding from, from those. So like all the work that we do through the Australian Marine Debris Initiative, we want projects that are measurable, that we know what our baseline is, we implement a project, and then we can see the impact to make sure that we're actually you know, achieving what we want to. So we've been excited with those results and we're, and we're really looking to continue working with those councils to expand those case studies into other areas. That's fantastic, Heidi. So, as always, a lot going on <laughs> with Tangaroa Foundation. <laughs> so, uh, so all of these uh, projects are either kicking off or, or progressing. So, we will be catching up with you during the year, and uh, yeah, just 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 let us know what is happening there because this is all really exciting exciting stuff, and especially uh, the results of the you know the, the Rick Recycle program. Uh, we'll check in with you during the year and uh, and see how it's all going. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we've got a dedicated Rig Recycle Facebook and Instagram page. So if people want to keep up to date on where those bins are going in as well, just like us on there. And as, as new locations go in, we'll be posting them there as well. Excellent. And we will be putting a, uh, a Facebook link uh, on our Facebook page of Radio Marinara as well. Thank you so much, Heidi, and, uh, and enjoy the, the running around of chickens and kelpies uh, in your house <laughs> today. That was Heidi Tate, who is the CEO of Tangaroa Blue Foundation. And uh, yeah, we will hope to see you next time, Heidi. Thanks, Farm. Incredible work there. And, yeah, if you want to find out more information, um, give, us a, give us a little bit of time to put that link on. But if you go to the Facebook, uh, Radio Marinara Facebook page, you'll see an amazing photo of Haiti surrounded by the stuff that they pick up off the beach. Oh, it's crazy. I think I, think I know that photo. That's the one in Cape York where, they, where you literally wade through plastic pollution up to your knees sometimes and yeah. they do amazing work. They've been doing cleanups there since Yonks with, uh, with the local uh, First Nations people as well. So it's really great work they're doing up there. So, yeah, give us, a, give us a little bit of time, then you can click on that photo and that will take you through to the links that Heidi just mentioned. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Without further ado, it's a great pleasure to welcome back to Triple R and to Radio Marinara, Rob Lorenzen, author of Spike Surfs and uh, favourite human of, um, of Spike. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Bron. It's so nice to be here. And on behalf of Spike, we're very privileged. Thank you. Now, Spike is joined by a younger sister as well, who is a new addition to your family. Yeah, a very lively young Kelpie. Uh, her name's Lani, uh, named after Princess Kaolani in ah. Hawaii, the surfing princess. Right. Oh, very good. Very hopeful, Bron. <laughs> yes, and uh, potentially taking up where, uh, where Spike Learning from Spike. With a little bit of learning from, from Spike, I hope so. Yeah. So we've got a few things to cover today. One is um, you reached out to us a couple of weeks ago because you were about to head up to Noosa for the Noosa Surfing, uh, I'm going to get this right, Noosa, Noosa Festival of Surfing. Yeah, we were about to head off on the trek, three days on the road, lots of boards, a couple of dogs. 
It's a bit of a trip. <laughs> yeah. And when you were in here last time, you were talking to us about Spike Surfs. Correct. So this is the story of Spike. So maybe just a quick summary for listeners who, who missed when you were in last time and, and the significance of Spike and why he's really such an amazing dog. Um, I adopted Spike uh, 13 years ago from the Lost Dogs Home. He was really the dog that nobody wanted um, and he'd been there a long time. He's a, a crossbred dog and uh, he really appealed to my son and me and we adopted him. He wanted to be part of our lives eventually, overcoming his fear of water, the beach and became an incredible companion, uh, eventually coming surfing with us, eventually having to buy him his own surfboard, eventually... He became quite a performer on his board and uh, eventually went to the dog surfing at Noosa, which he won in uh, 2018, which we tried to capture in his autobiography called Spike Surfs. <laughs> well, which you've done extremely well and it was Thank very you. popular with um, with our listeners when you came oh, in to tell you. us his story. So, yeah. it, And it, it captures his story coming from the lost dog to be lost dog's home and becoming a, a surfing champ and... Uh, the Lost Dogs Home benefits from the sale of the the book. It's great, and it's available from uh, Wild Dog Books, wdog.com.au, and uh, teachers' notes available with it. It's a great little story. It is. Book. It's a wonderful story. Um, so you were saying so that was five years ago. Yes. So Spike is fifteen now. He's fifteen. Yeah. Wow. And so he was ten when this yeah, happened. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't a, a young dog at the time. He, when he was first started. learning to surf in his old age. Yeah. That's yeah, great. That's, well. You know, it, it all started to come out and um, he's got many talents. He's a great diver too, which is extraordinary. Which leads us into, I'm kind of jumping from yeah. where I was going to head for the the end of this, but yeah. he's a good diver. So tell us a bit about well, that. Well, I taught my son to dive. I wanted him to be an explorer, to look, to look and be curious and learn about the marine environment and would take him down, taught him to snorkel and go down four or five metres under reefs and Spike would swim with us and one day uh, down in Western Port off Shoreham on one of the outside reefs at low tide, we came up and there was no dog and there was Spike down on the bottom looking under the rocks that we'd been looking under, <laughs> which is quite extraordinary. <laughs> so he was... He was... Am I underwater? Yeah, a long way down. You know, wow. It looked like a platypus going down there. We, I didn't understand the significance at the time, but he picked up on our curiosity and, you know, it's, it's been remarkable um, in that time too that in paddling and walking the beach, we've come across a lot of marine life and Spike's observant too. He wants to know if he can eat. He wants to know if he can roll in stuff. And you know, <laughs> as dogs do, which is almost do- always a yes. <laughs> as dogs do, yeah. yeah. And um, it's been an, an adventure with him, you know, checking out marine life. And um, he, you know, his eyes and senses are a lot more sensitive than mine. And it, it, it's great. You know, he can hear things like he can hear the 
the dolphins out on the bay, you know, and he can hear the penguins, you know, a long time before I can. It's just fantastic going exploring with him. We're getting a bit of our canine therapy here. I'm, I'm watching Bron uh, <laughs> listening to this story while she's petting Lani's very yeah. soft ears. Oh, she's got her head on uh, on her lap, so it's very cute. Oh, lovely. Cuteness <laughs> overload in the studio today. <laughs> so... um where am I going with this? Yeah, no. See, I'm distracted. Sorry, I'm distracted by this beautiful dog. So, um, you have a sequel coming out. I hope so. We're working on it. Okay. Um, it's called uh, working title Spike Dives, and yep. it's really um, trying to capture marine life and communicate science in a way that can connect young learners. Yep. Um, Spike is adventurous. He's curious. And spikes, as a dog, you know, a lot of our you know, listeners have dogs and kids can connect with dogs and trying to capture spikes' observations and reactions and put them into words with photos is a way of perhaps tuning in young learners to mm-hmm. marine literacy that's my ambition. Yeah, fantastic. Now, um, before we run out of time, I do want to talk a bit about the Noosa, Noosa Festival sort of, of Surfing. Um, so Spike has competed. He's competed yeah, over the at last... 15? Yeah, at 15 since 2018. And this year went out, caught a few waves. The waves right. were up to about a metre. It was smooth. We caught a few waves and, you know, Spike's weight now, when he gets wet, he was... I didn't realise that his weight's too much for his legs now. Yeah, okay. He's got arthritis and um, very hard for him to stay up. But we came in on one last wave to the beach and people were cheering and so Spike stepped off the board um, and swaggered up the beach and kind of <laughs> he kind of went through the crowd and um, he accepted it was the kind adulation. Of, it was kind of yeah, it was like he was high fiving. It was fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. We're I can hear our theme music. We're we're just running out of time now, Rob. But um, thanks for coming back with Spike. It's a pleasure uh, to and, see you, Bron and Fam. And, and let us know how you go with Spike dives. We'll be in touch. Yeah, yeah. please be Thank in touch. Thank you for your support. Oh, always. And uh, we'll have Spike and Lani back in studio then. We look forward to it. Okay. All the best. <laughs> that brings us to the end of Marinara. Thanks to uh, Rob. Uh, to Rob Lorenz and Spike and Lani and thanks to Heidi Tate, also Ben Francis Shelley. Um, thank you, Farm. Thank you. Very much. Thank you, Rachel, very much uh, for, for uh, panelling for us today and um, many thanks to David who will have this show up as a podcast in the, the next few days. Um, next week, Anthony will be in as well as Dr Beach and proof, catching up with Prue Francis talking about ocean literacy. Stay tuned for Radiotherapy also for that very special live broadcast by Einstein and Gogo from 11 until 12 um, with Dr Shane and Dr Jen profiling endometriosis. Uh, have a great Sunday. Have a wonderful week coming up. We'll catch you next week for more Marinara. Bye for now. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.